Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Monday, October 23rd. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Jay Doherty. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Here are today's headlines. Things are getting back to normal for commuters coming from Westchester. Metro-North and Amtrak announced they're resuming a near-normal weekday train schedule after a mudslide disrupted service this weekend. Picture this. It looked like the side of a mountain fell onto the track. Crews spent the weekend clearing debris, rocks, cement, and soil off the Hudson Line. Two out of the four tracks on the line are still under construction. Crews are set to work on repairing those tracks into Monday. Despite that, Metro-North only canceled four of the trains out of the 158 Hudson Line trains on Monday. Housing housing tens of thousands of migrants in New York City has cost the local government over $2 billion. City council members are eager to understand how and why the migrant housing project has cost the city so much money. That's why the council is holding a hearing today. Local lawmakers are asking members of the Adams administration about how taxpayer money is being spent, especially because third-party companies are being accused of racking up the bill. Council members are at the table with new questions, especially pertaining to a particular company called DocGo. They provide mobile medical services and transportation. DocGo is currently being scrutinized by both the city comptroller and the New York State Attorney General. The comptroller is looking at whether DocGo earned the contract fairly, and the New York and the state attorney is investigating whether they mistreated migrants in their care. New York could be banning some of your favorite Halloween candies. WFUV's Liam Dalborn joins us to break down the possible ban. So, what's going on, Liam? Well, the New York State Assembly is considering a bill to ban five food additives, and among these is red dye number three. It's been linked to cancer and mood disorders. And you find these ingredients in Skittles, Pez Candies, Starburst, and Swedish Fish. Tell us a little bit about red dye number three. Well, studies show that red dye number three was associated with cancer in laboratory animals when they were exposed to very high doses. It has also been linked to children becoming more hyper than normal and having difficulty focusing. The U.S. actually banned it from cosmetic products in the 1990s, but it remains in many food products still sold in the U.S., Would New York be the first state to enforce this ban, Liam? No, New York would be the second state to do so. California passed the measure earlier this month. And could these turn into nationwide restrictions? Not right now, but there's been growing calls for the Food and Drug Administration to bring in nationwide restrictions. And this comes after reports found that at least 10 ingredients are still widely used in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to health concerns. What would happen if this bill is passed? It gives candy makers five years to alter their recipes or face fines for selling in the state. And when could the bill pass? It could be January next year. That's when the state's Assembly and Senate reconvene. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. New York's furry friends came to Tompkins Square Park this weekend to celebrate Halloween. And some of their puppy costumes were incredible. From handmade turkey costumes to store-bought Kermit the Frog ensembles, the parade was full of creativity. Nearly 15,000 people and 600 dogs attended the 33rd annual Tompkins Square Park Halloween Dog Parade. This year, the parade was almost canceled due to problems with permits. But luckily, the organizers were able to get through the red tape. And that's lucky for Puka the Pomeranian, who won Best Costume, dressed as Winnie the Pooh. Not to worry if you missed that parade. 
Washington Square Park is holding its own Halloween dog parade this Saturday, October 28th. And happy Croctober! Today is National Crocs Day. The shoe brand launched in 2002 in Boulder, Colorado, when the original makers had an idea to make a waterproof boating shoe out of foam. The name Crocs comes from the fact that the top of the shoe resembles the snout of a crocodile. Since the company's launch 21 years ago, 300 million pairs of Crocs have been sold. National Crocs Day is an annual event, first created in 2017. A scientific paper caused an online panic earlier this year when it predicted a massive solar storm could knock out access to the Internet in the near future. WFUV's Caroline Ely sits with Dr. Christopher Aubin, who explains the science behind solar storms and why we shouldn't lose sleep over an Internet apocalypse. Imagine, what would a day look like without the Internet? A week? Or even a month? For many of us nowadays, it's hard to imagine an hour without TikTok, Instagram, or even being able to chat with our friends. But what about the socioeconomic impacts? In this day and age, the World Wide Web is exactly that, a form of interconnectedness in which banking, security systems, and even entire countries are dependent upon. So when the rumor of solar flares knocking out the internet became a sensation on the internet, naturally panic ensued. But should we be worried, or is this a whole bunch of science fiction? The, the quick answer is no. And, and I, I say that, but, but I do want to qualify because there are a lot of things to worry about. Should you be worried about getting hit by a bus when you cross the street here in the Bronx? Yes. Does that stop you from crossing the street? No. That was Dr. Christopher Aubin, a theoretical physicist who specializes in high-energy physics or particle physics. And while he says the concept might be difficult to wrap your head around, Dr. Aubin says solar storms could pose a potential threat to internet infrastructure. While solar storms occur often and are usually imperceptible to the human eye, the sun is predicted to reach its solar maximum in the next two years. An uber-powerful storm could lead to an internet apocalypse. And... We know this from experience. The last super solar storm was in 1859. You think about it at first and you're thinking, 1859, nothing happened back then. Or we didn't have enough activity back then or electronics back then, but there were telegraphs. Yeah, so now, I I don't know how long it would be out, but it, it it would definitely affect the internet and basically anything that's electronic. So safety systems could be harmed. There would probably be power outages, and there might be large-scale power outages, but I think there's like a 4% chance in any given year that might happen. Now, almost 200 years later, technology and telecommunications impact almost every minute of our modern-day lives. So the chaos that could unfold from a mass telecommunication outage is a little bit scary and seems to be far less science fictiony than we might think. But Dr. Aubin does remind us of the Y2K example. Back in the 1990s, when the whole worry was that the codes being used in the computers were so old that they couldn't handle the switch to the year 2000. It was for many, many years, people panicking, worrying, people were stocking up on food, freaking out, and then nothing happened. We might have to live a few days without the internet. That is traumatizing, yes but probably nothing to lose sleep over. Now, we would hate to act as the boy who cried wolf in a sense, but typically solar storms have no bigger impact than any major weather event on Earth. 
I remember when I was young, um, back in Maine, we had this great ice storm that lasted a couple of weeks and two thirds of the state of Maine lost power for over a week. And that was debilitating, uh, but people managed, they survived, they got through it. The hard part in this case with that would be that it's a global event. And so it would definitely be a harder thing to, to bounce back from. Dr. Aubin also reminds us not to lose sleep over the inevitable. But he reminds us in unprecedented situations like this, it's super important to get our news from trusted sources and to be wary of clickbait. Click on the link, even if it is clickbait, because a lot or, and, or look at the similar topic from a more reputable source. In this case, for example, space.com is a great source because it actually has scientists who are editing these articles. They'll use the term Internet apocalypse but they'll describe things in a way that is not nearly as earth-ending as, as it sounds. Um, and so sadly, the, the answer is ultimately education, right? Being able to read an article and sort of say like, oh, I took my astronomy class when I was a freshman and I don't really remember much from it, but I remember enough to realize that this seems a little wonky when I look at it. And then you know, try to find the sources that are not the clickbait sources, you know? Things like the New York Times, NPR, stuff like that. But ultimately, the best place to go for updates is straight to the experts. And while NASA is predicting significant solar flares by 2025, they say there's no reason to believe in the online misinformation over an internet apocalypse. At least not quite yet. With WFUV News, I'm Caroline Ely. That was WFUV's Caroline Ely debunking the so-called internet apocalypse with theoretical physicist Dr. Christopher Aubin. The Fordham professor specializes in high-energy physics. And that's our show for today. I'm Isabel Dances. And I'm Jay Doherty. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.